This episode of No Quarter is sponsored by the Underground Retrocade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. You want to see the side art, you want to feel the controls, and you want to hear Suzanne Vega on the stereo. You know what? I like all that too, which is why, if you want me, you can find me left of center on the Karate Champ Machine at the Underground Retrocade, 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. I'm Mike McGinnis. And I'm Carrington Vanston. And you're listening to No Quarter, where we talk about classic video arcade games. Yes, we do. Our, our slogan just got shorter. It did. <laughs> you well, never tell. It goes big, it goes small. Never know what we're going to give. Last time, I just, just just sort of rambled on endlessly, and I figured, well, I'd try to shorten it up this time, and apparently I went too short. Yeah, that was my criticism of you. Too short! <laughs> you must give me the right, exact right amount of, of slogan. <laughs> I can't oh podcast with you. And I need only green, green jelly beans. Are you quitting? Are you walking off the show? Yes. Ban me, mister. Excellent. Nah. You're banned. Show's over. <laughs> um, I'm not going to walk off the show. We, we, we do all these amazing arcade games. Oh, that's I, right. We got to give this thing away that we said we'd give away. Oh, there's get... that too. Exactly. And I'm addicted to these games now. Can't go anywhere. You're stuck with me. Oh, man. Um, yeah, we're talking about a weird one this week. Yeah, this is a, a weird and rare one. Very, very rare. I, I, I didn't hate it, but we but got didn't some feedback, I think, to get to first. <laughs> I didn't hate it, but I didn't play it. <laughs> uh, we do have feedback. We got a bunch of feedback because we're, you know, saying, oh, please enter our contest. Give us feedback. So we got a ton of feedback this week. <laughs> Though to enter the contest, you just basically have to write in or tweet us or, or you know, poke us on facebook or any sort of contact counts as an entry um, and oh so many us. of you did my goodness i know we're up to a little over 150 entries in the contest and one more week to go folks so if you're hearing this there is still time i think we'll do the draw on, on the next show i guess is that the last show of no i Vector? think that's the plan yeah okay so then that means you've got to get your entries in by the time we record the next show which will be next thursday well, if we if we stay on schedule, we're supposed to record on Thursdays. We frequently don't. It's not Thursday today, for instance, um, which means that is the 27th of November. So we record normally at 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. So as long as you enter the contest before 7.30 p.m. Eastern on Thursday, the 27th of November, 2014, you will definitely have a chance to enter. And you might have a couple of days buffer because we're frequently late in recording. <laughs> but that'd be the minimum cutoff. And as a reminder... Uh, what you're winning is a joystick of your choice from X Arcade. Actually, it's X Gaming, isn't it? And they mm-hmm. make the X Arcade joystick line. And if you win, you get to pick the one you want. Now, remember, this is not for their stand-up arcade machine. As cool as that is, we can't give you one of those. Can we give me one of those? Uh, well, you, we can, but you'll generally have to pay for it first, yeah. Uh, that does, that's not as cool. I want that um, arcade to TV one. That's the one that I want. I tell you what, if, if you go and buy yourself one, I'll drive it to your house and say, you won! Give it to <laughs> you, and, you, and you can pretend that you won it in a contest. That'd be, that'd be very nice. They also <laughs> be, I know they make this thing where it's like an arcade cabinet, like a full cabinet that you can mm-hmm. drop a tank stick into it to be the controller. So if somebody wins the joystick of their choice and they choose the tank stick, they could then get the like arcade and plop it in, and you'd have a full stand-up arcade for a lot less money. But we are not giving you the... Uh... The no, the they machine. can just go buy everything else. That's right. And send us money. <laughs> so did we just, get any did we get any non-contest entry feedback, Carrington? Tons. Tons. Well, technically no, because everybody who gave us any feedback was <laughs> oh, yeah. in the contest. Oh, save a couple of people. We did get four or five people write in to say they're contacting us, but to opt out of the the contest. Oh. Um I think like uh uh like Sean, because he had previously won and um, Roberta wrote in but said, said that she's already got two of them. And so she was like, you know, she shouldn't really win. If she's, she's got two, <laughs> it's not really fair to like say, I'll take one and I'll have a third. <laughs> she goes, I, I've only got two hands. I only need two controllers. So that's kind of funny. <laughs> um, but we did get lots of feedback in general, as often is the case. Um, and I will give people titles. <laughs> so Pope Mike wrote in. Oh, my goodness, yes. <laughs> well, hold on. Before we go anywhere here, I, I get to see some of these emails when you write into the to the podcast address. Uh, and 
Carrington, what have you done with all of these titles? And, and they just go on and on. I, I, I'm this close to banning you, sir. <laughs> it's awesome. Anyway, <laughs> Pope Mike. Citizen or comrade. That's it. That's all. Comrade? <laughs> Where did comrade come yes. in? I'm going to add Comrade to the list of potential <laughs> titles. Um, and also, when people write in, I like it when they give themselves titles now. It's cool. Yes, they do. Uh, so he wrote in to say, hey, guys, I awoke Monday morning and, as usual, was listening to your show while having breakfast. I had to laugh as I began eating an everything bagel with cream cheese, and you guys were referring to a death bagel. <laughs> Love your show, and thanks for a great contest. <laughs> I like the death bagel. That was my favorite yeah, part that of was, the Yeah, that was funny. A lot of people uh, wrote in to say that they enjoyed that, that yep. little bit of humor there because it, it actually does look like a rotating death bagel. Although we didn't come up with that. I think I, I think I gave credit in the last show like to the person. Somebody else coined that that phrase, so was, was it wasn't me. Um, I, it was I'm, funny. We'll take credit for it. No. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to take credit for it, but I do like it. Yeah. Uh, Patrician Oliver wrote in to say, hello, folks. Maybe it's – Patrician's a thing, right? Yeah, okay. Maybe it's <laughs> been asked and answered before, but I was wondering how much time a week you spend on playing each week's game on average. I try to follow and play the game of the previous week, but more often than not, I don't have the time, which means I suck at time management, obviously, so kudos to you. So, uh, Mike, tell me, how much time do you spend – on average, playing the games that we review each week? Uh, zero minutes to about two minutes. Zero minutes. Zero I, minutes I generally don't play few. the games. I just sort of make it up as I go along, and then <laughs> I'll wait for you to tell me your score, and then I'll make up a score that's slightly bigger so that I can say I won. But I don't so all the games. weeks that you win, I'm going to believe you do just make up your score. <laughs> and the weeks you lose would be the accurate score. There you go. So yeah, usually that's... you're making it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, I spend – let me think. I, I, I know I give at least a half an hour always to the to the, the game because I set aside time specifically for the game playing. There's a half an hour period that is sort of earmarked as that is when I play the game for the week. And then I'll play it throughout the week as well. But how much I play it, frankly, is determined by how much I'm digging the game. <laughs> so mm. the games that I positively review, I likely have played a lot more than the games that I negatively review. And I think I spend... Somewhere between one and an hour to an hour and a half total doing research on the game. And again, it depends on how easy it is to find things and how um, how many other sites out there have easy links. Like you can't really just go to Wikipedia and say, okay, I'm done because half of the things on Wikipedia will generally be wrong. Although look at me not doing anything to correct them. Um, <laughs> but you, you want to sort of dive deep on the internet. And a lot of times the most interesting stuff is the things you're going to find on page 15 of a Google search. Uh, there are lots and lots of very small sites that discuss games and they're not well linked. So yeah, you kind of have to dive deep if you want to find a lot of the, the, the neat information. So generally I'm spending an hour and a half or so in research and then half an hour to an hour and a half in total playing the game. So there you go. Yeah. One, one to three hours total a week, I guess. Yeah. That's, I think about the same here. I, I try to set aside a little bit of time every day, usually 15 minutes to a half an hour. I find that I do better at sort of absorbing and understanding the game from a maybe a, a wider perspective, I guess, if I play a little bit every day rather than try and shove three hours of gaming into one session. Not that I'm opposed to doing that, but when I'm when I'm playing a game for the podcast, that tends to be what I do. And you can tell when I don't like a game because the time that I would normally spend playing, um, I'm researching um, because I don't want to actually go play it anymore because I think it sucks for whatever reason. So. Uh, if I'm talking about a game like I really, really know it well, you know that I don't like it because I spent all the time <laughs> I was going to play. Uh, uh, I uh, spend all the play time and in, instead uh, researching. So that's funny because I'll I'll research more if I like the game. So I'm sort of the opposite there. Um, and I definitely though, like you. I I try my best to play it on a minimum of two different days because if I'm going to review it, everybody has bad days, even me, even me. What? <laughs> I know. And so the awesomosity of Carrington even you, has bad days. You don't huh? want it to be that your mood or your, or whatever affects the game. Like it's not a fair review then. So the same thing when I do like the movie reviews, um, I, so I try to always approach something a minimum of twice in two different contexts to see if it, if my opinion holds, it usually does, but sometimes I'll, I'll come back to a game the second time in a week and think, why, why did I hate this? This is really fun. So giving it a second chance is, is important, I think. So, yeah. So there you go. That is the answer. Patrician Oliver. <laughs> Maybe it was Olivier. I can't remember who wrote that in there. I've only got first names. So you said Oliver before. So, um, then I'm going to say Olivier this time. 
Excellent. In fact, I think it was Olivier. Sorry, Olivier. I think I <laughs> said your name wrong. Uh, Lord John wrote in to say, hey, guys, I enjoyed the last episode of Eliminator, which I had never seen in person, but I have enjoyed immensely in emulation after having uh, it brought to my attention. Well done. Your discussions of physical arcade cabinets are always fascinating to me. I think I finally come around to the idea that I don't really need a big main cabinet in my house, vintage or not, because of all the other ways I can play these great games now. Do you suppose that in the early 1990s, when TV sets all went to black or silver plastic, that anyone yearned for the days when a television came in a wooden cabinet and dominated much of the room? My rational mind says that nostalgia for arcade cabinets is similar and that we're better off with a multifunctional device with flat screens. My emotional mind agrees with your intro statement about wanting the feel of the classic controls and to hear insert 1980s band name <laughs> on the sound system. That said, please enter me into the controller contest because it's all about the big joysticks. <laughs> so I thought that was really interesting feedback because I waffle between the two. Like I'll, I'll frequently think, no, I want to play it and have like a, a dedicated control system and I want the older monitor. And then sometimes I'll think, well, I don't have room for all of those. I want the, the, like a, uh, just a one main cabinet or maybe two or three that can 99% emulate the games. For me though, that is a separate issue from the, say arcade experience like there's a lot to mm. going to an arcade yep. that almost has nothing to do with the games i mean they're, they're essential because if you don't have the rows of games you're not actually in an arcade but it's the social aspect and the chatting and the the trash talking and and discovering new games and walking by in the ambience and and all of that that is separate from whether the cabinet's original or not and then like even if it was an arcade filled with main cabinets it you could still get that aspect of it so for me it's two separate issues and i and I do think that there's a real argument to be made that if you want to play games in your home, there's a lot of advantages to like one or two main cabinets set up to play hundreds of games versus only having a collection of one or two original cabinets, which only give you one or two games. So I, I see the pros and cons both ways. I, I still like the cabinet. So there's something about the sound coming out of the cabinet that still makes it so much different than and standing up at a game. Is so much different. I guess I could just stand in front of my television. <laughs> like, <laughs> but the, 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 the games are designed to have a certain posture to, I don't know. So the pro, pros and cons all around. Yeah, there's, there's definitely shades of gray on this. Um, you know, like 50 for, for, of them. <laughs> I hate you so much right now. Um, there's, there's, there's a lot of different levels to this. I, you know, for, for me, if I want a cabinet, it's because, um, because I have some sort of sentimental attachment to whatever game it is usually. And I want the original or because the controls on it are so screwy, like Spy Hunter, you know, where there's no way that I'm going to be able to. I mean, I, yeah, I can play Spy Hunter with an X-Arcade, but it's not going to be the same as having the, the trigger wheel and the, the, the shifter knob and the, the accelerator pedal and all that stuff. So um, and then for the rest of the games, sure, then then that's where I would want, you know, the big the big MAME emulation machine that plays all the rest of them that I still want to play. And maybe I still want to have the stand-up experience or I'm having some friends over and we want to play it that way. Um, and then if it's just me in my house and, and a quiet evening and I and just want to play a couple of games real quickly, I'll probably fire up MAME on the PC or, or the, the iCade or something like that. So there's something about the, uh, the cabinets, like an original cabinet for a particular game <laughs> that it's almost like a, a fetish object like there's something really unique about each cabinet and like i've got a gravatar cabinet and that is different than a lot of games that are almost like that are even in the same cabinet because it's the it's the details of the art and the placement and the controls and like there's some the, so the two cabinets that i do have i i adore for themselves so there is also something to be said for the original cabinets just as, as an object to admire and i guess collect but for me more just like the art of of a cabinet and just as as a physical object is just something just really lovely to me i don't know i sort of almost think it's like the i, I don't collect classic cars because i don't have a lot of money but i would think that there's a similar you know like you said the, the, the it's a great word uh fetish for the for the the original car yeah i can have my little um reliable cheap subaru to get me back and forth to work but it's a different experience even though they're both still driving a car literally um to to having say you know a, a classic corvette or a classic chevy or something like that so 
But I guess that's the one advantage. Like I can take a, a, a Gravatar cabinet and it could be made to pretty much perfectly emulate another game. Well, Gravatar is tough because it's weird. It's buttons and vector, but you know what I mean? Like we can take a, sure. a Pac-Man cabinet and it can be a different Pac-Man game inside there. And you can't really take like a 1950s Ferrari and say, well, this weekend I'm going to make it be a Mustang for a while. Like, so yeah, just drop the Mustang <laughs> engine into it. <laughs> Not the same. Also, I've been thinking about this a lot because uh, with J- JS Mess getting s- so much better, and and we talked about it. In fact, I think somebody wrote in recently saying, why didn't you guys talk about that? I'm like, I think we talked about it like way before. <laughs> Lately, it's been making the news, but we we hit that news ages ago. Um, but it's getting better and better and better where you can just you know open your browser and there's an arcade game. And I, and I think emulation in general is getting better and better. And there are some things about original cabinets that are, that are daunting to own. Last week, we talked about a cabinet that has a, a – tendency to burst into flames <laughs> like so <laughs> that's a downside but also like i've got my my vector game my gravatar and those monitors fail the xy monitors in, in in just in general are tough to keep up and monitors in general even for vector games have a tendency to fail and the flybacks on them go and like there's there's maintenance in the same way that having an old car is is maintenance so they be they've become a collection that you can enjoy but also can become a hobby that is is taking up a lot of time becomes something that you know you might find daunting to own or less enjoyable than just possessing like if you have a bunch of action figures that go on the shelf and you're done if you've got arcade games suddenly you've got a like a maintenance contract and it's a bit of a pain so i can see in the future, and this is going to get some people writing in, and we're going to get some hate mail off this, so <laughs> brace yourself. But I love the cabinets and the originalness of them. Like, and a lot of that has to do with the physicality of them. So the buttons, the control panel, the side art, the 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 stance, the the like, just all of that. The and less so the, for instance, the guts of it and the monitor. And I believe that if I was to replace the PCB inside my Gravatar and the monitor, if it could be done in a way that I couldn't tell the difference, like it's very difficult to properly emulate a vector monitor on a, on a modern monitor. But if I had a, uh, like say a retina screen and the right filters where I, like somebody snuck in at night and did it and I couldn't tell. And they only later opened up the back of the cabinet and say, look for the last two months, it's been different and you didn't know. And what they've done is replace it with something that runs cooler, doesn't require maintenance, and just is going to work forever. I think I would just shut that door and go, thank you very much. (laughs) And I think I would not put it back. And that's sacrilege to a lot of people who love these things because I'm saying, you know, and I'm not saying people should go out and necessarily like destroy these cabs and throw them (laughs) out. But there's – we're we're deep. I I get the argument. It's one of those like vinyl versus CD arguments. People say vinyl's warmer, and the, the hisses and the pops and the crackles make it real. And let's say I grant that, and the fuzziness, and the 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 of a old raster monitor, and the bleed, and even the NTSC roll, and like all of the the imperfections of that monitor are part of the game. And let's say we grant the intentional fallacy that every game designer ever took every single one of those things into account, and they intended the the perfect little pixels they were making to bleed and be all fuzzy and what have you. And that is part of the art, and like grant all of that. With a retina screen... Eventually, we're going to be able to emulate all of that. Like with a with a modern IMAX screen, you can basically give, say, a grid of a hundred by a hundred pixels for every one pixel in an old, you know, two fifty by two fifty arcade monitor. So I can assign ten thousand pixels to every single pixel, and there's no way I could eventually emulate every single fault with an early monitor. And then, if that's done perfectly, and literally you walked into an arcade and you could not tell without opening it up and looking inside that it wasn't the original monitor, have we actually lost anything? I don't know. We've we again we've lost the maintenance contract and the and the chance <laughs> of fire, but I don't know that I would be disappointed. Oh, send your hate mail to to me. <laughs> um, I'm just saying, like I see I see a lot of pros to maintenance uh, to to emulation and things that might be coming in the future that would make me want cabinets that have been in a sense gutted and oh it's hard to admit that but there you go well this is going to be very unusual but i'm actually going to agree with you um changing my mind (laughs) okay good now i i think that i think that you definitely hit on something there with there's sort of a 
you know, when you have a cabinet and it's been lovingly restored and there's, there's a sort of a visceral thing about, you know, just being able to reach out and, and feel the, you know, the crappy wood painted, you know, with the black lacquer and the, the actual joystick and things like that. And I, I, I think that, um, at least the, the collectors that I've known in my life, the ones who actually go out and get these machines tend to be the ones who not only don't mind having a quote maintenance contract, but actually enjoy working on these machines because I think it creates, you know, a, a closer connection to those things and the things that we, you know, people want the, want bonds, I think, to the things that they own that are important to them. And, and what I see with the arcade cabinet collectors are the guys who enjoy working on these and fixing them up and making them as original as possible. There's, and that's how they form a connection to these the machines of their youth. And that kind of brings back those memories of, of the old days in the arcade, which, you know, today, you, if you, especially if you grew up in that era, you can't really bring back that arcade experience a hundred percent, unless you're going to do it in your own basement, you know, at least for me, because <clears throat> when I would go to an arcade, you know, it's there's the places were smoke filled, you know, and, and you don't get that anymore. You can't smoke inside anywhere. And that, that's a big, like when I would walk into an arc, an arcade, the odors and the, the sounds and everything just kind of wash over me. And um, so those connections are created for the collectors by working on the machines and by being able to reach out and touch those. So even if you were to strip the guts out, you know, unless you're, unless you're then going to peel off all of the original artwork and try and replace that. Um, I, I think that, yeah, see, I don't know. This is tough because, like you Even said, you saying that made me start to see the other side of it. Going like, I, the monitors are also round, <laughs> like they're <laughs> like these things, and there is something about the fact that the game is that old. You're playing on something where all the parts were there in the '80s with you, in a sense. So, now but again, I, see I don't know. I just I don't see it as such a black and white issue the way a lot of people on right. the net yeah, are I, very I black and white about it, and I I, I see all the sides to it. I really think it's a very personal thing. It's a personal choice about, uh, obviously, ultimately, about how we uh, each want to enjoy our gaming experience. And it's different for everybody. And so when you go into these, uh, boy, this might be a can of worms here, but when you go into K-Love and you see people getting torn apart because you're not enjoying the game that I, the way that I enjoy it and you suck and everything about you sucks because of that, you know, it just makes me sad. And and I I don't like these discussions are kind of difficult to have sometimes especially if if you you know you, you want to talk to people who have different opinions and who may not agree with you but at the same time you don't want them you don't want them to to sort of fall into this well i hate you and and you hate me and our, your gaming is stupid and this and that which <laughs> is where a lot of these discussions end up especially on the forums online uh but ultimately i think if you for me anyway like you said if if you were to replace everything in like if i had a spy hunter cabinet and you came in and replaced everything on it with with emulation and with new parts. And as long as I couldn't tell, is there really a difference? I don't know about that because eventually, you know, as with all things and, and especially as we see with our vintage computers and, and, and things like that, these things are going to stop working. And the only experience we're going to have is emulation. And, and then it becomes a matter of, well, we need to make this as best an emulation experience as we can. So. Yeah. I, I got a um, Macintosh, an old classic, toaster mac uh, an nice. se30 and Ooh, uh, yeah my my one of my favorite macs and i recently replaced all the capacitors in it and so is that a bad thing like it begins with these things where most people can say if you replace the battery in these old ones even in arcade cabs that's a good thing to do because the batteries are going to leak and they're going to destroy everything and then you've got like the other extreme where somebody says i got the cabinet and what i did was i painted over the side art or I've ripped it out and I've physically destroyed the cabinet. And most of us thought, well, that's a bad thing. Um, and I think there's a middle ground where you say, I've replaced the internals in a way that somebody could put them back. I've replaced the monitor, but didn't destroy it. I just put a different monitor in. Somebody else could take the cabinet and essentially restore it back with original parts. To me, that's, it seems non-destructive enough that it's okay. I think where I, where I balk at it is the idea that somebody takes an original cabinet and, and, destroys things like rips off old side art to paint over it or something like that that seems wrong even to me a lover of the main stuff which is why like even with the fixing felix jr cabinet i have like i know that those are made from 
you know, real cabinets. Like Disney didn't just say like, let's make, they took real cabinets and wrecked them to make one of these things. I'm like, ah, so I'm happy to have it. And I love the game. And, but there's also that downside to it. So again, uh, great shades, of, 50 shades of gray for Mike McGinnis. Mike I hate you so much. <laughs> just for that little reference. Okay. So, uh, anyway, good, good, good email. Good Thank you, John. Email. That was a good one. Yeah. Thank um, you. What else we got? Sultan Greg wrote in to say, one small correction for Mike. <laughs> you knew I was going to like that. You knew this email was going to get read. Uh. <laughs> one small correction for Mike. In Star Wars, it's proton torpedoes. In Star Trek, it's photon torpedoes. Yes, I know that's confusing. But on that note, as long as you're in Vector Month, please, please, please do Star Trek SOS. Um, well, you don't know what no, we're doing Greg. next week. <laughs> no. I guess you now know what we're doing. not doing that. <laughs> you just heard me wrong, Greg. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. I, I actually said Proton Torpedo. I'm pretty sure I edited it so that you oh, said. Oh, that's what it was. It's Carrington's fault. That you said Kessel Run. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. In eight parsecs. <laughs> right, exactly. It's a measure of time. <laughs> so that's what I said. Um, uh, so you've been corrected, Mike. Corrected. Uh, of course I have. Uh, oh, and then uh, Michael wrote in, giving himself a title. Again, you write in with your own title, you're going to get read. He, he begins, a dispatch from listener Rear Admiral Lieutenant General Michael. <laughs> See, this is, this is what, what you started, Carrington. And I, I did. Avoid. And I did. Ruin the show. I did immediately spot a Red Dwarf reference, and he says, quick, spot the Red Dwarf <laughs> reference. I'm like, I did already. So I was really pleased with this email already. First sentence, I already like it. He continues, howdy there, gentlemen. I had been meaning to pass on a note to you about how I play Tron in MAME without a spinner or a nifty, bluey, glowy flight stick. It's not authentic by any means, but I guess we're already well past the point where you take away a spinner and a flight stick, blue, where, uh, blue glow or not. Nevertheless, it lets me play, and that's good enough for me. I thought I'd let you know so you can judge its utility and allow you to review this great old game on the show until I got a main cabinet of some form together after new year's day. I got a PC hooked up to my regular console gaming CRT for now. I play everything on game pads. Ugh. Uh, but I can play, which I think is the main thing. I use a Logitech dual action game pads with layouts like the old PlayStation controllers for Tron. I use the D pad as a replacement for the digital flight stick control. And I map a shoulder button as the sticks trigger to replace the spinner. I use one of the analog thumbsticks, usually the right one for the sake of easy reach with my right thumb, just map the spinner rotation against the movement along the X axis um, or the Y axis. If you're so inclined and set the digital sensitivity in MAME to your taste and Hey, presto, you can light cycle tank, grid bug splat and MCP clone crush your day away. It should be said that I haven't mastered how to set this up for discs of Tron yet. In addition to rotating your target around the screen, I think you're supposed to be able to choose an elevation for the target. Is that correct? I haven't seen one of these things since I was a small boy. One day I'll get around to nailing that down as I think I like that game a touch better than Tron itself. Either way, I do manage to get one of these games in. Oh, sorry. Either way, I do manage to get one of these games in. Hopefully, you or somebody listening might find this information useful. By the way, remember I said you don't have to have a MAME cabinet yet, um, and I play with gamepads. Ugh. Well, if you guys would be good enough to enter me into the contest, maybe I can win a proper set of arcade controls, and that would be one less thing I'll have to worry about getting myself. Uh, That's all, gents, except to say thanks for the fun and the games. I thought that was a really interesting feedback because we get a lot of people writing in saying, like, how do they emulate the games that you can't do with, a, like, a regular controller, particularly these things with spinners or or um, flight control sticks, etc. For me, though, I just, I, I just can't do it. Like, I pick up a game controller, and that's totally fine if I'm emulating something like a, a NES or SNES or something, uh, but I just can't do it for the arcade games. It just it draw, pulls me out of the game. I'm just so so aware of it not being the correct controls i guess i just ruins the game for me i'm such a snob what about you i've talked i've talked endlessly about how um well depending on the mood i'm in it's either the d-pad's fault for for being a technology that just sucks or it's my fault for not being able to master the technology and that's probably more the case that that it's the the latter there but um i actually for for games like discs of tron um i think you can set the Elevation, I'll have to double check that. It's been a long time since yeah, I played it. Yeah, on the spinner, it, remember it pulls up and down? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a great but game. The, that is a great which by, game. Which, by the way, you can, there are several uh, arcade outfits out there now that the arcade parts and things like that where, where you can actually buy a spinner that lifts and, and will do the elevation control if you really want to. Um, typically, I what I to. do for, for Tron is I'll have, you know, the my X arcade on my desk or even 
God forbid, the arrow keys on my keyboard if I'm feeling really lazy. But I, I happen to be a trackball person uh, rather than a, a a mouse person. So I can I can adjust my uh, trackball settings in MAME to, to act like a spinner, and that sort of works. I mean, obviously, like he said, it's it's not anywhere near the real thing, but it, it does make for a playable experience. So I appreciate him passing along that information. That's great if you're a D-pad player. Uh, good Good stuff to know. I need a spinner. I'm all about the spinner. I'm all can, about the spinner, about the spinner. <laughs> well, you can get them for, for fairly cheap. And if you've got an X arcade or something like that, there's definitely room to, I mean, if you're uh, the home hobbyist type and you, you really want to, you can drill a hole in the top of your X arcade and mount, mount a spinner like I did. Ooh, Ooh fancy man fancy. with your spinner. <laughs> uh, okay. Let's do another couple of these really short. Um, Raja Sean wrote in to say regarding the Snoopy God. songs from the sixties, the name of the band was actually the Royal yes. Guardsmen. That's who right. Recorded I got it wrong. Yes. <laughs> we had a couple of people write in. Uh, there mm-hmm. was of course, Snoopy versus the Red Baron. And there was a follow-up later called uh, return of the Red Baron. Right now, if you turn on certain radio stations, you may hear Snoopy's Christmas in which Snoopy and the Red Baron call a temporary truce and share a Christmas toast. When oh, I was a kid, I, heard about I, that one. I, I know. I think, I actually think we linked to that one. I think I did find it last week and include it in the show notes. We'll see. If I didn't include it last week, I'll make sure I include it this week. One of these two weeks of show notes will have a link to the the song so you can hear it. Um, So Sean goes on to say, uh, when I was a little kid, I had all of these songs on an album called Merry Snoopy's Christmas. Side one was the affirmation three songs, each preceded by a very detailed story about Snoopy and his battles against his nemesis. (laughs) It was pretty exciting. Side two was a bunch of seemingly random Royal Guardsman songs, some tangentially related to the Snoopy story, others just regular old 60s pop songs. In addition to the three main songs, the Royal Guardsman also had a single called Down Behind Enemy Lines which is pretty much on the same lines, except Snoopy isn't explicitly mentioned anywhere. And the B-side of the single was Snoopy for President, which is, I guess, a campaign song for Snoopy had he actually been able to run for president. Carrington, in case you as a Canadian aren't aware, Snoopy would not be eligible because he needs to be at least 35 (laughs) years old to run, according to the United States Constitution. Last I checked, there's no provision that the candidate must actually be a real-life person. (laughs) I think that's true. I think that's excellent. Really? So you guys could vote for like a fictional person again? As long as, long as he was 35 or older. Yeah. So, uh, but now Snoopy could run because Snoopy's been around for, for more than 35 years. <laughs> a lot but if he longer aged, than 35 years. But if, but if the character hasn't aged, does that count? What if you just draw, create a character today and say, this is a character who's 40 years old. Does that count? You can be one day old in real life and become president of the United States? Ladies and gentlemen, you need to reach out and contact your local congressional representative and ask that they they, uh, introduce some new legislation allowing for the aging of fictional characters to count as 35 years old so they can run for president. Because there's nothing else that needs to be done at the moment. Let's focus on that. Um, I actually am both a Canadian and an American. I don't know if I mentioned this before, but I have dual dual citizenship. Yes. So I, I straddle both sides of the border like a giant colossus. <laughs> <laughs> That's how That's I imagine it. Um, okay, so one more. Landgrave Jeff. I'm going to give him Landgrave. Why not? Hello, wow. Mike and Carrington. I've been listening to your show for the last few months, and I've been frantically trying to get through all the back catalog after I heard your show recommended on the Broken Token podcast. I wanted you to know that I really enjoy the podcast. It's nice to listen through your discussions of the different games and remember playing them back in the day. I'm slowly getting through all the episodes. I've been listening to the most recent ones and then jumping back to the old ones, then back to the most recent and so on. It's a little hectic and I'm getting a little bit confused about the episodes. So forgive me Mm. if the feedback I have has been covered by other listeners. I find it fascinating how I listen to your show uh, and the games I remember being really good and really enjoying back in the day are the games that you guys like now, especially the underappreciated games like Ladybug or Zookeeper. They're holding up well after all this time. For specific feedback, there was one thing that popped out to me when I was listening to your show on on Gyrus. It's pronounced Gyrus, right? Not Gyrus. What did we decide? I think it's Gyrus. Gyrus. I'm going to say keep sticking with Gyrus. Your show on Gyrus regarding the game's controls. Maybe you can think about this or you could talk about it when you eventually do Time Pilot someday in the future. You mentioned that uh, you think it's a better game if you'd think it'd be a better game if if it had a spinner 
like Tempest. What I'm not sure you realize is that even though these games both use an eight-way joystick, they're a special kind of stick called a Monroe stick. Games like Pac-Man and Donkey Kong have a specific feel based on their specific controls. Gyrus and Time Pilot are no different because of their choice of a Monroe joystick. That joystick turns in such a way that it feels like it rotates around a circle. Perfect for those games. I highly recommend you try them both in real cabinets to see what I mean. It's one of those things that's hard to describe the difference. Thanks for doing the podcast and going over all the games. I'm really enjoying it. I can't wait to see what's coming up in the future. You're helping me rediscover games I forgot from long ago and some I've never had a chance to play from all my years of playing and collecting. So great email. And you're right, Jeff has had a lot of, e- of years. I checked out his own website. I'm going to stick a link in the show notes. It's uh, jeffsgames.com. And he's got this amazing personal arcade collection and tons of info and photos of cabinet restoration and collecting. Nice. So it's awesome. And his latest post is about um, a fix-it Felix Jr. build, so you can see somebody like approaching a build of one of those and just, yeah, great info and lots of photos, so if you're interested in collecting or restoring these cabinets, then it's a site to check out and I'll make sure it's in the show notes. I think he's and right. That, uh, certainly that um, with the best games, you know, the, the cream of the crop, the ones that we really, really like, they tend to have a timeless quality where they either, you know, it, they're just as good as we remember or they, you know, get better with age like a fine wine. Like me. Like you, Carrington. <laughs> uh, I think that's the end of the feedback. That's a lot. That's that's enough. It's yes, and there was a lot of feedback because, well, at least I don't have a lot to say about this week's game because there weren't very many of them made. What is this week's game, Mike? Why, Carrington? It's War of the Worlds, nineteen eighty-one, Cinematronics. I am confused about when this game was made because it seems like there's two versions. And yes. I think it's 1981 as well, but I guess there was like a black and white original one made in 79 and then it didn't get released. And then there's like a color one made in 80 and given an 82 copyright. And that also kind of didn't get released either. And there's like only 10 of these out there. I don't know. Okay. It's very confusing so, cabinet. So uh, the, the the website that we've we've referenced this place a lot um, and it's, it's because the articles there are outstanding. Uh, the Golden Age Arcade Historian, a.k.a. All in Color for a Quarter. Yeah, great site. Um, has a series of articles on the ultimate so far history of cinematronics uh, and vector games. And one of the, one of the subsections, I guess, of, of the series of articles talks about uh, War of the Worlds. Uh, and it says in early 82 cinematronics released War of the Worlds as a conversion kit for Star Castle. The game had originally been designed by Rob Patton in 1979. So that would have been the black and white one that, that we don't really know that much about. And uh, from everything that I've read on, uh, uh, about this game, the only difference between the color uh, version and the black and white one is the color. So wait, who who designed it? The according to according to the Golden Age Arcade historian Rob Patton designed the original in seventy nine. I didn't. I thought it was Tim Skelly. Well, and Tim Skelly is the one who was given credit for for the color version. I think. He ah, said see, that. now I'm learning because he's the guy who did like Armor Attack, which we've already talked about, which is why I knew his name, and also Warrior. Another cinematronics um, vector game, and I think maybe Starhawk, but I'm not sure. But like, so I knew Tim Skelly, and and um, wow, look at me, I'm I'm so, learning stuff already. Well, and there's there's as with uh, certain companies like cinematronics in this case, you know, there's always some uh, murkiness when it comes to specifics and who did what when mm-hmm. and first, and unless things were documented, because you know we're talking 35, 40 years now for some of this stuff, and memories get hazy and. So uh, what Rob Patton had to say about it was um, one night we all it went out to see. Wasn't he did it? <laughs> well, he Tim says Skelly, one night on the we, other hand says it was all him <laughs> and fight. Pretty much, it says uh, Rob <laughs> says that uh, one night we all went out to see the new movie Alien. The next day we were thinking about game themes, and I threw out the idea that we could draw decent Martians on legs. And Tim volunteered to draw some sketches. Uh, Tim says my idea was to do something like Space Invaders to take advantage of the vector display. I wanted to have the enemies attack. Uh, towards the player and scale up rather than drop on top of you, uh, which you see in the classic top-down POV switcheroo. I think the <laughs> War of the Worlds theme came from wanting the player to shoot the legs out from under the attackers. The suggestion of the walking tripods of H.G. Wells. Uh, this suggested the walking tripods of H.G. Wells. I had a bear of a time drawing a three-legged walk cycle that still worked at each stage. Just doing this walk cycle was bad enough. I also had the, I also distinctly remember suggesting to Jim Pierce that we might want to do a copyright search on the name. Jim, of course, could not care less. <laughs> the thing is, I, I, I suspect they're misremembering another thing that would have influenced them because 
1979 would have still been in the grip of the big War of the Worlds resurgence because there's that musical version that came out, Jeff Wayne's musical version. Mm -hmm. And that's 1978. It was a concept album. It was a big touring thing. It was big and in the news. So by 1979, it's sort of like, it's sort of the year after Star Wars, everyone's influenced by Star Wars. 1979, a lot of people were being still influenced by War of the Worlds because of that. So um, I think there was even a ZX Spectrum game based on the musical in the mid 80s or something like that. So so I'm pretty sure that was probably another motivator because it would have been on everybody's mind I, with um the not knowing who makes what i remember i think we talked about this when we did warrior sometime when we were talking about tim skelly he was with cinematronics and then if i remember from our earlier episodes he left cinematronics eventually and went over to gremlin mm-hmm. because they offered him uh a royalty on the games he would make and also credit on screen so it was getting to that point where the creators were getting upset that the brands atari cinematronics and what have you were taking credit for the game they said no this is just a cinematronics game and tim would say no i want it to be a tim skelly game and so people were jumping ship to other places so like activision getting formed and things so that they could get credit for the games they would make so well in fact uh skelly had uh, apparently offered to so one of the problems that with war of the Worlds is that it's not very difficult because uh the the system just didn't have the horsepower to generate enough enemies or or intelligent enemies um and i think that's probably one of the reasons it never really caught on tim offered i guess to go back to cinematronics and fix the problem uh but gremlin said you're under contract with us you're not doing that oh interesting okay i didn't notice any problems when i was playing it but of course i'm playing it in emulation so i've got all the horsepower i need to throw at it and not using discrete circuitry so maybe that's why it doesn't have an issue in MAME, I guess. Does it? So it, it yeah, I, I read it in a few places, I think, that it stutters or something on the original hardware. Yeah, the, the, the horsepower just wasn't there to drive it, and so it would lag. And uh, just it, I, I think probably playing it, I mean, I, I, I don't know of any arcades around here that have one of these, but everything that I've seen about it has been that it's, you know, kind of felt like a half finished game. Mm. Well, I don't think it, well, we'll get to it eventually, but I don't think it actually ever got properly released so they only made like 10 or 12 of these things anyway so it's super yeah, super they, rare actual cabinet they rolled it out at the 1982 amoa i don't know what that is um show i assume it's a, an arcade trade show or a gaming trade show uh and it tested really poorly and so it it never really got into actual real production oh it's the amusement and music operators association i think oh, we talked about it okay. before yeah it was like the big arcade i think it still goes on actually but it's like was the big arcade show where <laughs> everything would get shown off there and then they would try to get the arcade buyers to commit to buying it and then they would produce it so if something shows poorly at the show then it just doesn't get made yeah so as far as the game itself uh, it's based obviously on the hg wells science fiction classic and you control a little tank that moves back and forth at the bottom of the screen. Your enemies are the Martian walkers. They advance forward on your position. Each Martian takes several hits to destroy, uh, and you're actually shooting their legs out from under them. Um, your protection is a shield button, and it's, of course, you, it's something that you have to use sparingly because it's not unlimited. Yeah, but if they say that. I got two issues with that. Every, all descriptions say that. And First of all, I don't think it's a tank. It doesn't look like it. It's like an <laughs> artillery thing on like a rail. It goes back and forth. I even really like the way it sort of fires like artillery. It's got these triangles on the side, and they, they jolt back when you shoot, and it shoots these two bombs off. So it's clearly like an artillery thing that you slide back and forth. So it's not really a tank. Um, and while your shield's limited, I think one of the things that, that contributes to this not being a very difficult game, it is not a very limited shield. <laughs> like you, can, you can hold that thing down for a long time <laughs> before it runs out. And probably you should have been given a very short duration shield. And so it's technically limited, but I found uh, I could have it as long as I wanted. <laughs> got am- ample shield use in that thing I th- found. Hmm, I, um, I did like that. Yeah, I did like the, um, the walking. Like the one fellow said, like it was hard to implement. And that's the thing that jumps out here because of course with war of the worlds the the they are those tripods or they're supposed to be um that the the martians are in and it it shows those really well so they they first come on screen as a like a ufo and so it flies up top doesn't even interact with you so you can sort of ignore the stuff flying in the air that's kind of weird so it flies up 
above you, and then it flies back to the horizon, so it gets small again, and then it extends its legs, and then they start to walk at you. And I think you can have maybe up to three on screen at once. Mm-hmm. And I like that walking, though. And you're right that it's neat that you shoot them, and you can, because they're so big, you can really only hit their legs, so you blast out a segment of legs, and they drop shorter, and the idea is you have to blast out all three segments of legs, and then it's sort of on the ground, but can still shoot at you, and then... Um, another shot will take them out and and free up a slot really for another one to come because it's like Space Invaders where there's an unlimited number of aliens and they just keep coming three at a time in big waves. But I like the walking. It's got a neat look to it when you play. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when I, you know, H.G. Wells' book was one of the first ones I read as a, a young boy and, and what I imagined of the walkers in my head actually matched up pretty well to what I saw uh, in this game. Did you ever see the, the BBC, I think it was BBC, British show anyway, uh, The Tripods? No, I did not. That's another good one. That's that's sort of related in alien attacking, and they have big tripod things. It's my my father's uncle gave, first gave me the book, and then when I finished the book, he had the uh, Orson Welles radio play on tape, and he let me listen to that too. Cool, uh, which was very very awesome. Uh, I'm sure that's out there everywhere. Um, probably not hard to obtain a copy. Definitely worth listening to that radio play. Um, and this sort of fit in nicely with my memories um, from my youth. Sure, the myth about the radio play is it caused mass hysteria in the U.S. Right. and <laughs> it didn't really. <laughs> no, they, the radio station got a few calls, but beyond that, no. No, but still a fun myth anyway. And yes. gets used in the background uh, or the, the, the background of the story in Buckaroo Banzai, an amazing oh, and perfect right. movie. Yep. And how it was actually <laughs> a Martian invasion that they then pretend was just a radio play. And that's a very good movie. So yes. I recommend that one heartily. Watch uh, it several times because each time you watch that movie, you'll get new yep. and interesting Laugh stuff. Well, you can, monkey boy. That's such a good movie. Perfect <laughs> movie. Um, so this was one of Cinematronic's last vector games. Um, and it was a – It's here's – maybe you'll be able to – Maybe you found this in research, but I'm confused about whether this is a black or black and white or color game. So I know the game that I was playing is a black and white game that uses a color overlay on the screen. But as far as I can tell, it was coded to be a color game, but then sort of dis- produced to go in an armor attack cabinet as a conversion kit. So it was going to then just be put into a black and white monitor. So then they just slap a color. So you got a color game playing on a black and white monitor, I guess. It's weird. Hmm. So what I what I'm reading here in the the main info notes is that the original games were made with a black and white XY monitors, and then a couple of years later they tried to tried it with a color monitor. Uh, this was would have been around the time they released Solar Quest, and there were only one or two of those with an actual color monitor that that were made, and no one seems to know whether they still either of those still exist. Okay, yeah, because there, again, there's I think maybe ten of these mm. uh, cabinets still exist, so it's an incredibly rare cabinet. Um, right. Oh, and the gameplay we haven't mentioned. Well, you got the so you got the flying tripods that you can ignore, and then the walking <laughs> tripods, which are the actual enemies you fight. Uh, two other things is they well you shoot these bombs because you're not a tank you're artillery I, I think that's what I'm going to stick with but they have this cool kind of sweeping laser that shoots and then um, so you, their shots aren't like a, a missile it's this laser that sweeps back and forth on the ground and if it hits you then you kind of get knocked out of your tank but it's kind of like you get like oh well I guess I'll retire and you walk out off the screen and then a, another one of you walks in and gets into the into the artillery. It's, it's kind of a weird thing. You don't really blow up. So I, I kind of thought that was neat, the little sweeping the sweeping laser thing. And also bombs get dropped. But oddly, they do not get dropped by the flying UFOs. They right. just sort of fall out of the sky at random. So I, I didn't really understand. For the longest time, I kept thinking, like, are the bombs coming from those flying things? And I didn't even spot at first that the flying things were the tripods. <laughs> so I don't know. At first, I was confused by this game a little bit. And I don't like the fact that it's got... Um, uh, really no backdrop at all. It's just like there's the walking vector things and the, behind it is just black, which I know is very standard for um, for vector games because like, they can't really generate uh, a, a backdrop the way a raster monitor can. And on Gravatar, there's not really a backdrop either. But because it's these walking things, it really felt like it needed a, a ground or a backdrop. And I, I felt it was missing in this game in a way that I don't usually feel that it's missing when I play another vector game, when I play asteroids, I don't feel like it's missing a drawn background, but this was one of the first vector games where I really felt like this is missing something in its design. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I have to wonder if that decision wasn't made due to the fact that the game was already laggy. Um, 
and and putting more stuff on screen would have just driven the driven it to unplayable levels of, yeah. of stutter and lag. Because it really um, is remarkable that the walking of the tripods. I can see why oh, that was yeah. difficult to encode because it's great looking, um, and that I, I, must have been hard to do in a vector monitor. But it's a really nice looking effect. It is, yeah, absolutely. And um, since we're talking about hardware a little bit, uh, let's see. It, it uses the uh, this game uses the the Cinematronics C CPU. It's uh, clocked at five megahertz, uh, and of course the horizontal. It's a horizontal resolution at two twenty four by two fifty six. Uh, interestingly, like, like you said, Carrington, it does have a color palette of 32,768 colors. So I think this was meant to be a color game. Um, and you know, it just never got far enough. I, I think where they could come out with a finished polished, polished project, uh, product. Right. Um, and not much else to say about the hardware. Um, well, the cabinet's cool. Like we talked about how, um, basically around 10 full cabinets or something somewhere between 10 and 12 or so were produced. That's it. Um, and since it bombed, I think on the two occasions they decided to produce it, like definitely at the 82 or 81 AMOA show. And I think in 79 as well. Like, so there was never a really a production of these. There's just a few made to show off. There was then a, um, I think a, a conversion kit made as well. So the, the cabinet itself is really just the standard cinematronics cabinet. It's essentially, it's an armor attack cabinet. If you look at it, it basically is the same cabinet, um, just with different art and things applied. The cabinet art itself was designed by Rick Bryant. And he's the guy who also did the armor attack and star castle, which were also cinematronics. And I think he did the cabinet art for tail gunner as well. And, I like his style a lot. This if I'm st- now that we're getting a couple hundred shows in, I'm starting to be able to recognize. You look and go, I know who did that art. That's the same guy who did this art. And I'm starting to become fans of particular people. And the cabinet, like the game we're talking about how it's missing a, a backdrop kind of, and it's in a sense a little dull in its artwork. The cabinet totally isn't. It's a really nice, vibrant color scheme. Um, so the cab itself is just black in the front and white on the sides. Again, armor attack cab, but it's got this nice looking red and yellow side art. That's a little over half height. And it shows this huge Martian tripod towering over a blasted landscape. And on the horizon behind it is this massive mushroom cloud. And um, at the top is the War of the Worlds logo. And really, that's the only thing that isn't up to the standards, I think, of the rest of the cabinet. The logo is not that great. Um, It looks like just a quick, if you're going to do a sort of a low rent logo for a like a bad garage band or something like that. (laughs) It'd be like, yeah, we're War of the Worlds. Hello, Chicago. Um, So, but everything about the... Art, everything else about the art is really, really eye-catching and effective. Uh, the control panel has four buttons in the center, left, right, shield, and fire. And over on the left-hand side are the start buttons for player one and two. So it's all pretty standard. But again, even on the control panel, what really stands out is the art. It has this cool-looking red and yellow image that um, it just shows the the huge Martian feet on one of the tripods as it thumps across the landscape and it's about to cross a river. So basically that's a scene right out of the War of the Worlds radio broadcast. And what's really nice is that the control panel art blends right into the bezel art that goes around the monitor. So it c- continues the scene up from the control panel. It's really effective and nicely done. Uh, frankly, it's a it's too nice a cabinet for this game, <laughs> to, be <laughs> on, to be honest, because it's kind of a mediocre game. Um uh, but if you want to see, so there was a, there was the actual cabinets again, very few of them made, and there was the conversion kit. Likewise, very few of those made. If you want to see what the conversion kit contents were like, you can check out uh, Tom McClintock's website. That's the ionpool.com site because he was doing something like in a like a you know closed down arcade, looking through things, and in a box he found um, a an unused, still like new old stock War of the Worlds conversion kit, and wow. he and he details the whole thing and what's inside there. So we'll we'll link to that. And what the, one of the things that he found in that were the documents that came with the kit, which is basically now the only manual that's available for the game because it wasn't really an official manual for the actual cabinet because it never properly got produced. But he scanned all of those, so I'll make sure we have links to those as well because then that's basically a manual to the game. I read through it. It really doesn't tell you anything you don't pick up right away. <laughs> so there's not really a need for a manual here. Um, there's a really nice, I guess one other thing to link to is there's a really nice detailed write-up about one of the full-size cabinets that was found in 2003. It was found and then almost immediately resold. So some guy had one for sale, didn't really know what he had. Somebody snapped it up really I'm cheap. Sure. And then that person realized 
the kind of like the way I think about my Fix It Felix Jr. cab, which really is something I should sell because in my hands just means it's going to get destroyed. This person thought the, thought the same thing. They've got this. This is awesome, but they are not the right person to have it. So they immediately <laughs> went and said, I want to find someone who wants to buy it. And yeah, they wanted a bunch of money, but they wanted to make sure it got in the hands of somebody who would keep it up and show it and so the world could see it. And so we found a, the appropriate buyer. So that's really cool. And, and that person, I think it's consortiumofgenius.com or something. It's a really cool website. <laughs> nice. So yeah. So um did a bunch of photos about that. And so you can sort of look at what a real full-size cabinet looked like. And it's really nice. Uh, so I'll make sure we link to that as well. If you want to check it out, because honestly, cabinet's gorgeous. Definitely something to look at. Um, and if you want to buy one, cost-wise, uh, too bad. <laughs> because there really <laughs> aren't luck. any of these. Like, so, I mean, definitely it would cost you well over $1,000. If you could even oh, sure. get one of the few people who have one to sell it to you. It's really not a cabinet that you can buy. You would just have to maybe be lucky and stumble across the 11th one out there someday. So um, cool cabinet though. I like it a lot. I like, I like the cabinet in a sense, maybe more than the game. Not that I'm down on the game, but it's the game's kind of a little, a little bland, um, which is too bad. The sounds a little bland in it, but the cabinet's really nice. Yeah. You kind of, kind of have to wonder what might've been had Tim been allowed to return to cinematronics and fix up the game. Uh, maybe they would have had a, a working product that they could have put out. Uh, we'll never know. Uh, I should mention that the game does not have a joystick. It's four buttons. I think, um, you know, left, right, fire, and shield. Um, it's uh, alternating one player, or two players alternating, I guess. Uh, or is it just a one player? No, it's just a one player game. And oh, no, it, no, if two, you can play two player alternating. Oh, you can. Okay. Yeah. Uh, if you're going to emulate this, which uh, if you have a cabinet, awesome. We'd like to hear about it. But probably people will be playing this in emulation. You uh, a couple of weeks ago, we played a game that required samples and we got a bunch of emails going where's the sound in this game this is another one that requires the sample file for mame if you want sound to go with it so make sure you download that as well as the wrong we'll link that into the show notes just like we did i think on that other time so i'll make sure for this one if you're looking for the samples you don't know where to get them you can head over to our show notes monsterfeet.com slash no quarter and there'll be a link there where you can grab the the wave files and because there are so few actual cabinets out there i don't know that there's an actual official real uh high score so i'm going to declare whichever one of us won this week um, as as the as the world high score record out there. Well, I'm pretty sure I watched a couple of people playing on YouTube, and they all beat my score. So, <laughs> so I'll, yeah, but those I'll are unofficial. Our, ours oh. ours will be the official. Hi, the official in Mame. Okay, got <laughs> That's it. Right. That's the official. Okay. Um, well, it's not going to be me. Uh, <laughs> or me. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you right now. I I did okay. But honestly, like this is one of those games where I played it and I got into it and and I liked it enough to keep playing, but it wouldn't make my favorites. Like I'm glad to have played it. But the problem is it's something about it is just not quite finished. And it's weird because it's – I don't think there's a knock against it that the sound's kind of repetitive and there's no real music, just sort of like an audio hum and the, the explosions. Well, that's repetitive. How is that different than than Space Invaders? Like you compare this against right. the Space Invaders, which is just the same thing. Waves of aliens and no real sound and just pew-pew noises. But somehow <laughs> the the full package with Space Invaders is something you can keep coming back to and is a replayable classic. And this is more you got to spend some time between plays to want to come back to it. Space Invaders <laughs> is a, if it's a once a month game, then this is a once a year game. <laughs> Not that it's bad, but just it's a little too bland and a little too repetitive. I guess something I don't, I can't put my finger on, but there's something about it. Anyway, I played it this week. I did. Okay. Not great. Don't know what level I got to. Cause it's not really levels. You just play until you die. High score was 14,600. And I think that took me, you know, five minutes or so to get to. So not a hugely long game, um, but that's the best I could do. What about you, Mike? Uh, you beat me this week, Ooh. but uh, this is a, like you said, it's a kind of a bland game. Um, everywhere that I looked, I kept seeing that there were, you know, there were two reasons that it, uh, there were three reasons, I guess, that this didn't sell. One was that black and white games were kind of fading uh, as far as player interest. Two was that uh, it was laggy. And three was that the game was just too easy. I, I didn't really experience that but at the same time i didn't didn't feel challenged it didn't feel like it was getting harder or that i was gaining anything it was just kind of like you said bland and repetitive uh this week i did twelve thousand eight hundred points well i win which means you didn't make up your score <laughs> <laughs> oh that's how it's that, gonna be that's how we that's how we know it's real <laughs> because <laughs> i won and that's the thing is i it's one of those games where i think if you walked into an arcade in 1978 or maybe 1979 and this was there and it's a bowling alley or whatever. People would go, this is awesome. Look, this is really cool. They totally play it. But by 1983, this game's going to look dated. 
Like mm. it's not by the time they were really trying to push it out again, like not being like you're right, being a, a black and white vector monitor and with the color thing over it that makes it kind of yellowish. It just would look like an old game, and I, and you're comparing it against other games out in '82 and '83, and like if they're beside this thing, it's not going to be, it's not going to get the corners. So I can see why it never really found an audience. It's kind of too bad. It just was released a little too late for what it was. I think. I agree. Yeah, I'm still glad we played it though. It was fun. Me too. Yeah. So what are we going to play next week? Well, we're going to play one more vector game. Ooh, exciting! And it sounds like this. All right, everybody, remember that uh, time is limited to get in our contest, but uh, you still do have some time. So uh, submit your entry, which basically means reach out and contact us and tell us you want to be part of it. And um, we'll talk to everybody soon. Absolutely. And thanks very much to both X Gaming and the Underground Retrocade for sponsoring Mm -hmm. the podcast. Super, super, super swell um, for them to, uh, you know, step up and, and give a gift to our lovely listeners. Awesome. Yeah. Bye, everybody. Bye. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback can be sent by email to noquarter at monsterfeet.com, or you can find us on Facebook as No Quarter Podcast, and on Twitter, we are at No Quarter Show. You can also find us on both the Throwback Network and the Real Retro Junkies Network. All of these links, plus the show notes, are available at monsterfeet.com. And like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain.